Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. And boy, it is changing times right now, and um, it is better to have been prepared right now than to not have been prepared. Um, we have two different phenomenon going on right now. We have uh, the phenomenon of... The virus itself, which by and large is a relatively uh, low-impact event. I know it sounds crazy when I say that, but, but hear me out. A low-impact event in the number of people that will actually end up in a hospital or dead because of it, relative to the total population of the United States. Doesn't mean it's not a problem. Doesn't mean I want sick and old people to die. Doesn't mean any of that. It just means that it's, and it's the one that you have a lot more control over. Because simply by not being exposed to people who have it, you're probably not going to get it. And there's a lot of things that you can do to protect yourself physically from that. That is that is the one side of this. And we talked about that yesterday with Doc Bones. The other side of this is dealing with the reaction of the market, of government, and of your fellow Americans. That's a totally different situation. And again, it's why if you're well-prepped, 30 to 60 days minimum of ability to survive without systems of support, you're in a much better situation right now. Because if you, even if you have that, you don't have to not procure anything. You can procure just enough and not even deplete your stores. So if we go through, like let's say it's a really long cycle, like those 90 days, and you have 60 days of, of, of get-through period, and, and you go through the first 60 being able to procure just what you need like everyone else, you still have 60 more days. You have 30 more than you need if you have to have the last 30 days close down and do nothing. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying that's the way to look at being prepared. That's why I've said I'm personally not concerned about this because this is a prepper. I'm ready to deal with things like this. And the other thing is you can only sit around and worry about something so much before you do more damage to yourself with stress and emotion then the actual threat exists to you. And for most people, this is not a huge threat to your existence. On the other side, there's real concerns like small businesses shutting down. And honestly, right now, if you're employed by a larger company, your company's probably going to be propped up and you don't have anything to worry about. But if you're in a small business, a solopreneur, um, you could find that 60 days from now, things are getting better, but not for you. That's a reality. Um, If you're in retirement and you were drawing from your retirement accounts and you were not in some cash positions, this is a really bad time. And if you are struck with the virus, it's, 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 it's bad luck, I guess you'd say, in, in many ways. And, and then still, you know, there's an 80, 85% chance it's not that big a deal to you individually. But, you know, even a person with a moderate case in the middle of all those other things, it can be a really big problem for. So what I wanted to do was kind of hit this beginning this week with a one-two punch And I wanted to bring John Pugliano on to talk about this from more of an economic and logistical standpoint than from the standpoint of the virus itself like we did with yesterday with Bones. So we'll have him on in just a minute. Before we do, let me remind you that you can help support this show by uh, purchasing from our sponsors, which you know pretty much all sell online. And we'll st ship stuff right to your door. Uh, if you're feeling a little strapped on your, your prepping needs right now, maybe you need to... Uh, 
get over to Ready-Made Resources, who's been with us for over 10 years, is a great sponsor of the show, and they offer everything from the practical to the tactical, guns to gardens and everything in between, and they'll ship it right to your house. So you don't even have to worry about putting on hand sanitizer and going out to get it. You can check them out today at ReadyMadeResources.com. Next up today, um, I'm big on education. And a big part of my ability to weather this storm largely ineffected is my ability to provide for myself off my property. I'm not 100% self-sufficient, but everything that my property provides is one thing that I don't need from elsewhere. Um, you know, with, with a few bags of uh, duck food, I can go months and never run out of eggs. Just as one simple example of that. And I've been teaching homesteading as a method of prepping for a long time. But some of my best material comes from, you know, at least it started with Backwoods Home, which I've been a reader of since 1993. You might have some downtime on your hands right now if you're not a subscriber to Backwoods Home. They're the kind of small businesses that can benefit from your business right now. Check them out today. You know where, backwoodshome.com. All right, folks, and with that, I want to welcome John Pugliano to the Survival Podcast. How are you doing today, man? You, you, are you alive out there in Utah, or have you kick, kick, kicked over dead yet from coronavirus? I haven't died of coronavirus, and I haven't committed suicide yet. All right. Well, we're going to get you on because I bet there are some people looking at windows right now and wondering if maybe it's an answer to what they're seeing on Wall Street, uh, i.e. Shays is the Great Depression and people plummeting out of windows, which I think was maybe overstated, but it's, it's still a stress factor. Um, what is your take right now of just kind of where we are and what your basic gut is for the next few months? Yeah, I've got a series of notes here I'd like to go over with sure. you guys just to, just to get some clarity to stuff. You know, first of all, I think we're in some kind of a hysterical mania. Okay. okay. And again, it's not to, not to downplay people dying and this is serious. And I know like you've been saying for weeks now, just because you say it's not a catastrophe or whatever, doesn't mean it's not important or not that it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's an issue, obviously. I mean, you can say it's down. being overreacted to without saying it's nothing. Like, but exactly. people just don't seem to get that. It's either ah or it's nothing. It, there's no. It's middle. all or it's all or nothing, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, the market as we speak is down about twenty three percent. So there's obviously a problem. <laughs> it's not that everything's rosy. Yeah. However, this is a mania, and and uh, you know, I, I I put out a just a stupid little blog post on uh, Facebook yesterday about. You know, showing the prices of everything's down. Bitcoin, gold, silver, the S&P. I mean, it's all it's it's the tulip bulb mania in reverse. Instead of everything going up, everything's coming down. And like all manias, it will end. You know, I don't know if it's next week, next month, 18 months, but it's a mania. It will end. Um, some of the things I'm going to say today are going to sound heartless and cruel. And I've been told, you know, I've had people now unsubscribe from my podcast and my blog and things because I'm a I'm a insensitive, heartless sob. Um, but I'm taking a realistic approach to this, and I think we'll get into that a little bit later on. So I guess a trigger warning out there: if anybody's okay. going to be sensitive about some things I may say about good good things that could come out of this, um, I, I've been people people think I'm really heartless. Um, but here's the bottom line on all this: I. As far as me, I'm not disregarding the situation. And I'm just go the virus for a second before we even get the stock market. Okay. Like like you, right? I'm a prepper. I'm not a pretender. I I wash my hands. I work from home. I have food and water storage. 
I have an emergency fund. I avoid crowds. You know, I, I do all the things they're already telling me to do. So in a lot of ways, I think this is a little humorous because people are kind of catching up to what we do anyways. Um, and even in terms of, I mean, you look at the this whole uh, people quarantining themselves and stuff. You know, I missed one of my favorite events of the year, the the TSP workshop in the fall, because I came down with the flu. You know, the, the day I was getting ready to get on an airplane, I got sick. You know what? I could have probably hunkered down and got on that plane and contaminated everybody and then come down to the event and struggle through it and given everybody else the flu. But I, I stayed home. You know, I did the thing that a normal person would do. So while I know that this is more serious than the flu and all that, I get all that. But still, it, it, I've been telling people this is a virus. It's not stage four cancer. You know, we, we are going to get through this. And, and that takes us to the stock market. We're going to get through this 20 some percent downturn turn as well. Um, I'll also say this, though, that I'm not a Susie Orman that kind of gets on there in 2008 and says, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, I mean, I think if there's a train wreck coming, I want to get out of the way. I'm not going to I'm not a day trader. I'm not a speculator. I don't try and get in and out of every little move. I'm a long term investor. But at the same time, I don't buy and hold. If I really think that there is a long-term problem coming, what I would consider a catastrophic catastrophic event, I get out of the way. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell my positions and get out of them because I don't want to sit through a 2008 downturn where it takes four years to get my money back. Um, I don't think we're in that though. I mean, I think you know, a lot of a lot of listeners are gardeners and, and permaculture people. So I mean, if you think of this in terms of a garden analogy, or if you're planting a food forest or something, and particularly if you're planting something that's that's uh, an annual, you can plant in the spring, right? You don't plant in the fall. So as an investor, you're you're planting your seeds, you're buying your stocks, you're investing for the future, and you're doing it ahead of the summer. Like when you plant your seeds, you plant them in the in the spring because you know the you know the summer's going to come, and your your plants are going to you know, they're going to flourish. When you're buying stocks, you're not buying them for today. You really don't care about today. You're buying them for the future, just like your seeds. If you, if you, if your seeds were going to give you food today, you'd eat them. You wouldn't plant them. So with with the money that you're investing for the future, you're buying stocks today. You really don't care what's going to happen today. You 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 want them to appreciate and grow in the future. You know. But having said that, you don't plant your your seeds in the fall. So again, if you think if you think we're headed to a recession, if you think there's a big catastrophe. You don't plant your seeds. You wait. You wait it out. Uh, I, I don't think that's the case now, though. I mean, when the when the first – if you plant your seeds in the spring and an early frost comes, or a late, I guess a late frost, that doesn't automatically mean there's an ice age and that everything's going to die, right? We're going to go into a, a mass extinction. Sure. It just, mean, it just means – it means the frost came late and you, and you replant your seeds. You know, you, you got unlucky. You just you move on. You don't quit. And I think that's where we're in right now. We're, we're, we're getting some bad things, obviously. This is turning out to be a, a worse virus than other things that we've gone through, everything from Ebola to bird flu to swine flu. I mean, we, there, there's been a dozen or more of these that haven't resulted in the kind of market downturn we have today. And so if you had gotten out of the way of all those other ones, like people are getting out of this one, you would have missed out. And that's the biggest, I guess the biggest thing I want to stress as we go through this is if you get out when it's not a recession or you get out when it's not a real catastrophe, 
The biggest problem is you never know when to get back in. And I literally, uh, I don't know about a weekly basis, but on a monthly basis, I talk to people that I see, you know, they've been out of the market. I say, well, how, you know, because they're worried about, they're worried about the next event, right? It's, and before this, it was the repo. Remember the repo lending? Yep. All the banks were going to go out of business two months ago because, you know, in September, rates went crazy and all the tinfoil hat guys were worried about the banks collapsing. Well, you know, so every month I hear that from somebody. Well, I'm not going to invest because X or I'm not going to invest because Y. And I say, well, how long have you been out? And it is not unusual for mm-hmm. people to tell me since 2008. I mean, that's like that's you've missed the biggest bull market in history. That's 12 years. Yeah. You know, when, when are you going to get back in? Um, yeah. I, I literally this week talked to a guy, and I think he's a listener. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's a listener of TSP. I talked to him this week. He's been out since 2004. And his case is a little different. It wasn't straight paranoia. He built a business and did other things. But he literally sold ahead of the financial crisis in 2008. He got out early. But then he kind of you know, got busy with his life and built a business and, and forgot about his retirement investing and never got back in 16 years later. I mean it's – the biggest the biggest danger is getting out and not getting back in. And the problem with that too is, especially with what we're seeing now, this is not going to be smooth. I mean, we're probably going to get a lot of you know, what they call dead cat bounces. Things will go up quickly, and then people panic. You know, death count will go will go up, and people panic and they'll sell again. And so someone someone will sell, and they took a twenty percent loss, and then they'll see the market go up, and they'll think, oh, I missed they'll it. They'll chase it. They'll chase. They'll get back in. Then the market will go down ten percent again. They'll panic and sell. And now they lost thirty percent. You know, when if they had just stuck with it, they wouldn't have lost anything. Because this will correct. I mean, I I always say I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future. I can be as certain as I can be about anything <clears throat> that this will end. You know, I mean, this this virus will end and the markets will come back. This is not. Um, <clears throat> this country has been through. Uh, you know, civil wars, world wars. We've dropped nuclear bombs on Japan. I mean, there's been a lot worse things that have happened to humanity than this virus, and we're going to get through this. Um, as far as some other things too, people, particularly in our community, they're very paranoid. You know, the, the preppers tend to be prep, preppers supposed to be prepared, but in a lot of cases it's paranoid. They're just they're they're waiting for something to happen, and so when something like this comes along, they can't help but look for the worst. And are you saying the people that should be the calmest are the most panicked? Yes, you would think. I mean, the people that again, if are they preppers or are they pretenders? Are they are they really prepping? If if they're prepping, there's nothing more we can do. You know, we might get unlucky. You might get the virus. You might be in a high risk group. You might die. Yeah, but a hundred people died yesterday in car accidents. You know, everybody still gets in their car and drives. Um, we we should do the things that we know are the are the right thing to do, and then we you know we take our chances, we live our lives. What people realize fail, fail to realize is that in the stock market, corrections are happening all the time, and they're extremely healthy. And again, this is why I don't get out. I, I don't try and chase every headline because, uh, you know, I, I mean, frankly, I'm just not smart enough. I don't know. How do I know from minute to minute or day to day? I, I don't have a uh, you know, I'm not across the street from the from the stock exchange with a, uh, some high speed connection that's going to allow me to get a microsecond in front of somebody else. Th- these things change on such a, a regular basis. What you have to understand is is that corrections in the stock market, and what traditionally what we call 10 percent, up to 10 percent correction, uh, moving down, 
where the stock market moves down and only goes down about 10%, that's considered a correction, technical correction, and it is healthy. It's like a pressure valve, uh, you know, when you're canning food. If the pressure builds up in your canner, it's going to explode. So every now and then the pressure valve will release and, and let the steam come out, let the pressure come out. Same thing with the stock market. It gets a little bit too overheated. The market corrects. It goes down three or four, five, ten percent. It scares a bunch of people. They get out. Things stabilize, and then the market can go on and, and go back up again. That's a normal, healthy correction. the The problem is, I think, in our modern times, is that um, that correction is moving to be more extreme than it used to be, because. The corrections are getting worse because over the last you know, 20 years, the Federal Reserve has stepped in and they try and plug every hole. They lower interest rates. We get stimulus spending. You know, we get quantitative easing. And because they've tried to smooth things out, it works out over time. But in the short in- integrals, whenever we have a, a big fear, they tend to get worse um, than they used to be. And as an example of that, I would say – Look back at what happened December of 2018, and a lot of people have already forgotten about this. It's kind of funny. I've, you know, People are panicking about the, the market being down 20-some percent. I'm, I'm like, do you remember when like a year and a half ago, or not even a year and a half ago, a little less than a year and a half ago, it was down almost 20% in six weeks? And people are like, eh, I don't remember that. It's like, yeah, you, you forgot about that already. But in the, in the winter of, of 2018, people worried about – the inverted yield curve, they were convinced we were going into a recession. They were worried the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates and choke off uh, the credit markets. And the market literally from October till Christmas Eve dropped just, just shy of 20% for no reason. I mean, uh, no reason other than the fact that people were concerned that we might have a recession. Not that we did have a recession, not that there were really any signs of a slowdown. Unemployment was fine. Credit card, card default rates were fine. Uh, you know, mortgage repayments, everything was fine. But people were just fearful that we might have a recession. And, and instead of that being a normal 5, 10% correction, the market went down almost 20. And, and that's just the world we live in right now. The big thing that people have to realize is that those, those 2008 events that last for, you know, takes you four years to get your money back. Although everybody talks about them, everybody's predicting them, everybody's waiting for the next black swan event, they happen, they happen very infrequently. You know, it, normally they ha- we don't even get them maybe once a decade, sometimes once every seven years. Uh, you know, but, but obviously we've gone <clears throat> all the way since 2008 without a major recession. And even with the stock market pullback, we are not yet in a full-blown recession. So people worry too much. They they really obsess about catastrophic events that never happen. And again, why I think this is not a catastrophic event is that we're seeing demand deferral, not demand destruction. Correct. Correct. I mean, if we looked at 2008, one of the reasons I was so adamant about that is because it was underlying fundamental problems. You could look at it and go, here's your problem. And you could see that when that problem came to the surface – that it was not something that would rectify for quite a while, that it was a cancer, like you were saying earlier, not a virus, it was a cancer. I think that when you look at this, the minute they let people loose, 
the first thing they're going to do is try to go back to their lives as fast yeah, as people, possible. People are going to have cabin fever, right? They're going to want to run out and buy whatever. They're going to they're going to they're going to spend all the money they haven't been able to spend now. And in fact, people are still spending money like crazy. I mean, you go to the store shelves, they're all empty. That must mean people are spending money. Um, yeah, right now they're spending just as much money. It's just going to a different place. They're buying toilet paper and beans instead of whatever plastic instead crap going, they were buying. Right. Instead of going to movies or something, they're buying toilet paper. Yeah. And so, so, and, and so this, we're having demand deferral. It's a big, big difference. The big thing on 2008, too, I mean, there were many underlying problems, but just one simple one that people can understand. One of the problems was that so many people – couldn't pay, make their house payments, and so they not only defaulted, but they ended up going bankrupt. <clears throat> well, even when the Federal Reserve eventually <clears throat> uh, lightened up on their, their policies, lowered interest rates, and they, they encouraged the banks to lend again, well, if you just file for bankruptcy, you're not getting a loan for seven years, right? So it, it wasn't a problem that was going to go away overnight. You had long-term demand destruction, totally different from what we're seeing right now. Um, I'm calling this the kind of the neutron bomb virus because if you remember the old neutron bomb, the, the big advantage of, of it was that it was a, and this is, this is the heartless, cruel SOB part of me. You know, the, the advantage, if there is a, an advantage of a bomb, um, well, there's, there's, there's no, what is it? What is it Benjamin Franklin said? There's no, uh, no such no thing as a bad, and, a bad peace or a good war. A good war, right. So yeah. I mean, there's really no such thing as a good bomb, but I mean, the neutron bomb was considered to be a good bomb because it was a dirty nuclear bomb that when it, it blew up, it killed the people, but it left the infrastructure. You know, you, you had dead people, but you, the bridges, the railroads, everything was still there. So the, the army could then go in and occupy after all the, you know, after all the radiation left. Well, Which was relatively that, short term with that. It was like a, a radiation burst that then dispersed instead of long term radiation. It was exactly. basically it killed all organic life and left all infrastructure. And, and so, in a, and so in a lot of ways, that's what we're seeing with this virus, right? It's not taking out the infrastructure. It's killing people. Again, I'm very. I don't want that to happen. I'm very sad that that happens. But the infrastructure is still going to be here. It's not like Fukushima in Japan. Remember when that wiped out? Like, I don't know. It, you know, what, what, what the stats were, 50% of Japan's nuclear power energy yeah. got wiped out in Fukushima or Hurricane Katrina took out New Orleans. But those things take years and years to overcome because you not only kill the people, you, you kill the infrastructure. You have to go in and rebuild everything. Well, what about this, though? Like, so a little bit of devil's advocate here. There's restaurants, the service industry. There's small business people like our friend John Dowie who sells microgreens to restaurants that are now closed. Like, some of these businesses can't handle two months of no revenue or even a month of no revenue. So what about those businesses? And, you know, do you see all this talk of bailouts? Like, I don't hear any talk of, hey, let's worry about helping those people. I hear help, let's help employees and let's help airlines and banks and cruise ships. But I don't hear anything about people like me and you, but not as well off as you and I are and not as um, – Online, as you and I are, like our incomes are, you, you manage investments, I speak to people through a podcast, I can still deliver my product or service. You know, John's got restaurants that he provides microgreens to, and I'm not focusing just on him, but it's just an example, hey, right? No, you're absolutely right. And so that, and that takes us to, and, and, and we'll take it a little more macro, we'll talk about John, but let's take it macro too, too. Yeah. In terms of the, in terms of the, what we're doing as investors investing in the stock markets, we want to avoid things that have a shelf life expiration, right? Like a cruise ship. 
Yeah. Um, we don't want to invest in cruise ship stocks right now because, yes, you know, two years from now they, they may just be fine, but right now everybody that's not booking a cruise or everybody that's not buying a, you know, lettuce, you know, from a from a grocery store or not from a lettuce producer, that's going to rot and go away, and you're never going to be able to resell it. You know, like an we're, we're an Exxon Mobil, they may not be selling oil today, but that oil isn't expiring. That oil's in the ground. And in fact, what ExxonMobil doesn't sell today at thirty dollars a barrel is good because in a year from now they'll be selling it at fifty or sixty dollars sure. a barrel. It doesn't so, go bad. So it's been in the earth for go fifty bad. million years already, so it's not going to go bad. So as we invest as investors, we're looking for things to invest in that are shelf stable is a good way to look durable at it. Goods. Um, durable goods. Durable uh, goods. Now in terms of specifically like John and other people that are small business people, I am hearing. And it's it's a real cluster, um, but I am hearing that they are trying to come up with ways of, and I'll call it just helicopter money. They're yeah. looking at ways, you know. I mean, crazy Mitt Romney, my senator here, actually not my senator, he's in my state, but I live in a different district, so I don't claim him. Okay. But you know, he's he's talking about yesterday about giving everybody a thousand bucks. He's got he's Andrew Yang now. All of a sudden, <laughs> one one crisis, he's Andrew Yang. And I'm not even saying it's a bad idea. And I think one thing we probably need to state now. We're moving into the point where we're going to talk about government financial intervention. We are not saying, one more time, we are not saying one more effing time. We are not saying this is what should be done. We're saying this is what we think might be done, and this is the implications of it. Because, And I try to say this over and over again. When I talk about something, I'm not necessarily advocating it. And when I say there's a good thing from it, I'm not, I'm not necessarily endorsing it. I'm acknowledging this, this result is positive, right? Or this result is muted. Like yesterday, you, you'll love this one, John. I had a person uh, who I respect posted something about interest rates and, and what have you and how much money the, the Fed could borrow and uh, or loan for zero to banks and all and said hyperinflation's coming. And I corrected that and said, you know, you're not going to get hyperinflation in the middle of basically a, a spiked recession because the money's not moving. And I had some guy tell me what, a, what an idiot I am and I don't know anything and it's going to be the Weimar Republic and all. And it was a, just a fundamental lack of understanding of the most basic economics. That, you know, I'm not saying you can't create hyperinflation. I'm saying you can dump a trillion dollars in the economy right now, and you ain't going to get it now because people aren't out spending money. You have to have velocity of money. And I think there's a lot of things like that. When we're talking about this, we might say, well, this isn't going to happen in this instance, and we have reasons for it. And we're also saying, like, the Fed might do this or the government might do that, and then this is, this is the good of that and the bad of that. That's not an endorsement, if that all makes sense. Exactly. We're just saying it's likely to happen, and, and it is happening. And, and that's, I mean, this hel was called helicopter money. They're looking at dropping money. I know um, uh, they're, they're talking about um, cutting the payroll tax, which you know would get, give everybody the employer gets, would get to keep their six or seven percent. The employee wouldn't have to pay it. Um, they're talking about for small businesses, either deferring or I don't know somehow cutting um, quarterly tax. Um, Estimated taxes, you know, quarterly taxes you have to pay as a self-employed person. A small business is supposedly gearing up to to come up with low or no interest loans. So I don't know how it'll all work out. I'm sure it's going to be a big government boondoggle that, you know, Chelsea Clinton I'm sure will suddenly have a small business that she'll get she'll get sure. more loans on it. Jack and John won't get anything. Chelsea no. Clinton will somehow get it, and and Ivana Trump or whoever. I mean, you know. Not just the Democrats. It's going to go across the board. But but they are they are coming out with huge stimulus spending. I mean, right now Federal Reserve, right Sunday, 
they cut rates were, were zero to 0.25 on the Federal Reserve's overnight lending rates. So we're effectively at zero rates. We could go negative. We'd be surprised. I don't think we will just because they've got other methods they're going to use. And a lot of people are saying, well, all oh, the Federal Reserves, they're out of bullets. What are they going to do? They, they've started up quantitative easing, but you know, what are they really going to do this time around? They can't cut rates like they did before. Well, they can be like the Bank of Japan and all these other central banks. They can start buying directly into the stock market. And I, I think, I think the Bank of Japan now owns something like 15% of all, all uh, exchange traded funds in Japan are owned by the Bank of Japan. So, I mean, they can come in with direct intervention and buy stocks. Don't you see uh, that? I mean, I, here's what I kind of see. Like this next week, they're rolling out testing. By mid next week, the, the, the case number is going to be sky high simply because identification of the cases. I think you see kind of the super panic wave two of the market. And then I've got, you know, these huge massive banks that can now borrow money for zero to a quarter percent. Looking at the ripe cherry that is a long-term stock market where they can always have, you know, servicing that debt for them is almost no trouble whatsoever. They could literally go in and buy stocks and funds in massive, massive amounts. So that's kind of where you're going with this, right? Exactly. And why wouldn't they? I mean, I would. Particularly particularly on the Federal Reserve side, not even the banks where they can borrow it for free, but I mean the actual Fed's balance sheet itself. They create the money out of thin air. They simply just create the money, right? They're not even they don't have to print it. They just push a button and they make the money. Why wouldn't they come in, buy stocks that's that uh puts a floor under the market dropping any lower. Everybody's happy because now the retirement's secure. The retirement savings are safe. The Fed holds on to it for two years, and the, and it goes up 25 to 50 or maybe 100%. They sell it and make a profit on money that they never even owned to begin with. I mean, it it, it is sort of a no-brainer. And again, I'm not saying that, you know, from an Austrian economic standpoint or from a philosophical because of my political views that I agree with that, that I think they should do that. I'm just telling you that's probably what they're going to do. I mean, why wouldn't they? Oh, absolutely. And I think there's a, a lot of things that I could come up with that maybe would be a better way to handle this, and it's not just the economic side. Like when I look at the lockdowns and all, I think that works. I, I That doesn't mean I support it. I, it means I think it works, right? Like, It's a lot, it's not the only thing, but it's a lot of what South Korea did. Now, I would much rather look like South Korea in two weeks uh, into this than I would like Italy two weeks into this, right? So, but, you know, to me, one of the things South Korea did and, and we should be doing here is getting to this testing much, much faster. And if we had drive-through testing in every major city by the end of the week, I think you could actually end up with, If you did this right, that's depending on a Republican government, which means a lot of decisions are being made at a local level, right, to say, okay, once we have testing up, what we can do is we can back off the restrictions because it's much easier for us to identify the people that are carrying the virus and quarantine them, right? And, and most of that quarantine is not going to be, you know, two guys guarding you with M16s. They can't do that. It's going to be go the hell home and stay the hell home till you get over this and call 911 if you can't breathe, right? And if, if we could do that... And I'd love to say, let's do that. And guess what? John and Jack can think that's a great idea. And th that's nice, guys. We got this. We're the government. You're not. 
You know, my other thing would be immediately deploy surge capacity using the United States military assets with mobile hospitals to Seattle and New York. And as you identify other cluster zones, do that. That way, instead of freaking out that we might have a surge in uh, respirator need, we already have the, the, the assets where the surge could occur. Like, those are two things that this redneck duck farmer can come up with pulling out of my butt. But I can't say that's going to happen because I don't believe that's what they're going to do. So you and I have to talk about what they're going to do, whether it's tactical or whether it's financial. We have to talk about what we see them doing and what that means, not what we would do if we were in charge. And it seems like there's people out there, they want to make a case for their side right now. And I'm all for it, but I'm also all for, let's be honest, about what's actually happening and what's going to happen. Yeah, and something to remember too is, you know, the old saying that when when you owe the bank uh, $100,000, you have a problem. When you owe the bank $100 million, the bank has the problem. Yes. The, the banks are not going to let all these small businesses and everybody go go broke. Nor the mortgages. The that, nor the mortgages they because can't. the bank owns it all, right? The they bank can't. Owns like, the so house. If, you don't if, own it, the bank owns it. If you can't make your mortgage payment, And you have a $200,000 mortgage on a house that's $400,000, and it's just you and 20 other people in that problem. The bank has no problem at all. That's kind of what you're saying in a different way. I just come in. I'm Bank of Jack. I take John's house, and your house is worth four hundred grand. You owe two hundred on it. I sell it for three fifty to get it out of my hands quick. I actually parasite and make money off you, and all my problems go away. If everybody goes underwater on mortgages at the same time, like 2008, because of this, they've got a problem. The banks could solve this pretty quickly. You tell me what you think of this idea. There's enough government money on the back end to stuff them full so they don't get stretched. We already know that. All you do is say everybody gets a 60-day mortgage holiday. You don't have to make your payments. You can if you want to. You incur no penalty, and it doesn't go away. It just We're just going to pause your mortgage for 60 days. On day 61, you make another payment. Right? Exactly. I mean, and that, that's, it's that's done. Exactly And it's exactly done. what they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing in Italy right now. Maybe Spain as well, but they're doing that in Italy. Trump, I think, has already proposed the same thing for like student loan debt. Um, yeah, why not just they, pause all debt? It, it, it's that's like, what they'll do. Remember when you like if you if you think back like when people would get in trouble, they couldn't make a payment. Only they would get burned by this because there was no pause. You could like right now. Let's say you can't make your payment to Ford for your car. If you call Ford Financial and say I want an extension, they'll just do it. Now. Instead of making you know your 60, 60th payment one month late and having it all go away, you're going to end up with another small payment because they're not pausing a loan. But they could pause these loans. And it's, it's what people would say. Why would they do that? And, and I have the ultimate answer for that because it's in their best interest. Absolutely. And that's exactly, <laughs> that's why, why. That's exactly why they'll do it. Because, not exactly because they care about you. Not because they're worried about John or Jack or Fred or Tommy or Susie or whoever. Because they are royally screwed if they have a mortgage meltdown right now. Because it'll be, it'll be broad and swath and they won't have any means of recovery and they can make an accounting adjustment and play their bullshit games and they can make it go away. Does that mean there's no consequence? No. But it means the consequence is better for everybody in that scenario. And that's an easy solution. And it lets the private sector look great, even though it's really the government. And So I see that being a very likely scenario, a one- or two-month mortgage holiday. And that, you may have to a, apply for it. Like, they may not just do it for everybody, but it's the easy button. That's what they'll do. And there'll be, there'll be small business emergency loans through the Small Business Administration for small business. I mean, this is going to be the biggest boondoggle. Trump initially asked for something like 2.8 billion. This is going back a couple weeks ago. Um, they right away, Schumer out of New York, the Democrat senator out of New York, right away 
took that from two point whatever to like I don't know eight eight billion, and now they're actually I mean they're already up to eight hundred billion, right? We're almost at a trillion, or we're looking at emergency funding. I've I've heard it kicked around, and I be, I believe it's true that the Federal Reserve has basically committed to doubling their balance sheet if they have to. So I mean we're basically looking at the Federal Reserve going up to near ten trillion dollars on their balance sheet just to get us through this. And, and that would be like almost half the national debt just on the Fed's balance sheet. So I, I'll, just, I'll throw one other thing out, and then we'll go move on to another topic here. But you know what I would do if I was Trump? And again, You're I'm not, not saying this. Well, I'm, <laughs> not, I'm not, and I'm not saying this because I think it's a good thing. But if I was a politician, this is what I would do. I would forgive everybody's student loan debt. Just forgive it. I mean, that, that takes away a political football that his, his opponents have. Number you one. have an excuse to do it right now. Yeah, it has exactly, and you can do it because right, you're not going to let an emergency uh, go, go to waste. waste. So just so Trump comes out being the good guy, say, hey, you know what? That one and a half trillion everybody owes, we're just going to forgive it. We're, we're going to write it off. Who, you know, so now the debt goes up to twenty-two trillion. Who cares? So where does the money? The, you know, there's institutions that that money is owed to. Yeah, the federal government. Federal government would just pay it. Just pay because ultimately, ultimately, it's all in the federal government, anyways. Yeah, I mean that's that's why it, that's why they can write it up. You know, they say if you if you work for the government, you can get get out of it in ten years if you make ten year payments, or twenty twenty years if you make twenty year payments in the private sector, even if it's not ever paid back, because the gov- government guaranteed all those loans anyways. So it just it just go in the national debt. And again, I don't I don't think that's a good idea, but if I was a politician, it's exactly what I'd do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, on that same note, if I want, if you said, let's take coronavirus away for a minute. If you said fix the student lending problem, I'd say all loans are direct from the government. All loans are paid back at five percent of your paycheck or more, more by election. Uh, if you want to pay more to get it done faster with zero interest, direct loans from the government for anybody that qualifies to go to college. It costs nothing. You now cost nothing, and it's now impossible to not repay your loan or get behind. There's no interest, so it doesn't matter. You see what I'm saying, right? And it's a payroll sure. deduction. Anytime you get a job anywhere, any place, anytime, until your loan is paid back, you pay 5% on your, of, of your paycheck to your loan. And the better you do, the faster your debt gets paid off. And if you want to pay it off faster, more power to you, but it's zero interest, so most people wouldn't even care. It would never, it would actually never be a problem again, and nobody would ever be behind, because the only way to be behind is not have a job, and we don't collect it when you don't have a job. And it's all, it's all, and I know people are going to say, John and Jack are for printing money. No, we're not for printing money, but they do. That's the system we have. That's the system we have. And, and that system right there solves, that's why they won't ever do it. That solves all of the student loan problems, you know, and that way you don't just get to go to college for free. Because <clears throat> we've seen what that does to the, if you want to see what a free college system looks like, look at your public education system. Exactly. It's not well, good. And, and- <laughs> Remember, I'm a cold, heartless SOB, so my, my way to solve the whole problem would be not let anybody borrow money to go to college. <laughs> if, if you don't yeah. have the cash, you don't go. You know, get a well, I, I, would, I like that better. But if you, to me, if you're going to have a student, right. I know. If you're going to have student loans and the government's going to back them anyway, just have the money borrowed direct from the treasury repaid to the treasury at a zero interest return with a guaranteed payment, or you know, do some some small interest. That pauses during unemployment, two percent or something like that, and and your whole issue and all this predatory crap is gone, and but you still aren't going to have people going to school just because they can because they do have a they do have to pay it back, and there's no way out of it. There's no way you're not going to pay it back unless you're going to go back to mom's house. Yep, which most people don't. Most people get some kind of a job, believe it or not. They really do. 
Yeah. Well, hey, let me let me uh, let me get back on track here yeah. with some things that people can do because we're not going to solve the political system, and we and we don't want to. In fact, in fact, don't vote for Jack. No, don't vote for me. Um, hey, so here, here's the way I look at this, too. Here's, here's some things I want to point out to everybody. And this is a great time to kind of hammer this into people's heads, a great learning experience because we're living through it right now. Hopefully people remember. First takeaway, markets are irrational over the short period of time. Yeah. Everybody, you know, people want to find rationality and they want to come up with all these reasons. Markets are irrational. Jack, you remember <clears throat> a month ago I was getting hammered with que- listener questions about should they buy Tesla. Do you remember that? Yes. People were wanting to buy Tesla, Tesla. stock. Tesla yeah. was at $900 a share. Yeah. Tesla's at $400 right now. No one's asking me if they should be buying Tesla, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm not saying run out and buy Tesla, but if you were going to buy it, it would be better to buy it a day than a month ago when it was 900 bucks. when I was telling people, hey, you know, kind of cool off a little bit. It's at an all-time record high. Uh, markets are not irrational. There's no reason that Tesla was worth $900 a month ago, and today it's only worth $400. It's not rational. It, it is not rational over the short term. Don't try and make it rational. Don't try and think it. You know, Stick with your long-term plan. Don't worry about what's happening short term. That, that's number one. Number two, people always ask me, and we get this question on a monthly basis about what do I do during a, a – downturn. If I think we're going to a downturn, what should I do? Should I buy gold, buy silver, Bitcoin, cash? What, what should I do? Um, I always tell them cash is king. Yeah. And, and and again, it's not to say that you shouldn't have 5 to 10% of your net worth in silver. We're not talking about a long-term security plan and uh, anonymous transfer of wealth that you may want to do with silver or something. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about in terms of what do you do with your investments if you're worried about a downturn Cash, you go to cash. The U.S. dollar, despite all the people that talk about inflation and the Weimar Republic and all these other things, if you look at any stock market crash or correction, the dollar always holds its value. Right now, we're looking at I mean, silver's. I don't know if it's still down below thirteen. It might be right around. $13. It was like twelve bucks this morning, twelve something. Bucks. But you couldn't buy it. You, you can't. You can't, you can't buy, buy it. You, you can buy, buy ETFs on it, but you can't. If you go right now to like, uh, well, you can, you either, they won't sell it or they're selling it for two to three dollars over what it supposedly is. Anywhere you go right now. I got people all over Facebook. How the hell do I buy silver right now? And the answer is in many instances, you don't. So that tells you that the bullion houses are like, we're not selling. Right. And the markets are rigged that way. I mean, that's, that's the way they are. But it, but in terms of if it was like in your, you know, a trading account where you're moving your money around and you were trying to preserve your capital, going to silver would not be a good idea because, it's, you know, two weeks ago it was almost at well, I think it was above nineteen bucks. It was yeah. getting close to twenty dollars. Now it's back down to twelve or thirteen. It's cash. U.S. dollar cash is king, and it is going to be that way as long as we have a nuclear arsenal and a navy. <laughs> the, the navy that we have, yeah, the U.S. dollar is not. It's not going away. It's not going bankrupt. Uh, you know, as long as we have that military might, we are always going to be. Um, a strong reserve currency. So forget about the people that are telling you you're going to, you know, they always want to take your Federal Reserve notes they say are worthless and have you spend them on something. Well, and the Just thing keep is, your, keep your Federal Reserve notes. What downturns are when you're in cash is an opportunity. Exactly. What downturns are when you aren't in cash is being locked into something. 
So one of the reasons the bullion houses aren't selling silver right now is I'm not going to sell a coin that I'm going to take a $6 an ounce loss on. I'm just, I would rather wait than take the loss. That's where they're at. Where usually they're trading so much volume every day, they make a tiny bit on it. It's a rough industry. But when they have a drop like this, especially when they're like, you know what? This, this is, a, and I guarantee you right now, if you want to sell, they'll buy. They're gonna, exactly. they're gonna buy from you right now. I mean, call up a pawn shop and ask if they're buying silver right now. Or, you know, go online. Like, JM will buy it off, you know, from you online. You ship it to them basically in reverse. I bet you they're, I didn't check, but I, I just bet they're buying. Yeah, why wouldn't they be? It, it was just like the durable good we talked about with the oil versus like lettuce. The oil is not gonna go, go bad sitting in a, in the ground somewhere. The, the, the silver had, and again, I'm not saying silver or gold things don't, or even Bitcoin, not that they don't have value. It's just during, during a financial crisis, the reason it's a crisis is because all asset classes lose money. They, they lose value. And the only thing that doesn't is the U.S. dollar because it is the dollar, you know, it is the value. It's the measure of value. And so it sounds counterintuitive, but the best thing you can always do if you're worried about a correction or a crash is go to cash. Um, now, What if you didn't go to cash? I did not go to cash. I've been saying all along, I'm holding through this. That's where I think people get on the next topic of your portfolio should consist of dividend, of not all, but of some, uh, in, in cases many, dividend-paying stocks or exchange-traded funds. You want to own dividend-paying equities for two reasons. <clears throat> Number one, the reason they pay a dividend In most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, the reason they pay a dividend is because they're good quality stocks. If they weren't good quality stocks, if they didn't have the cash flow to be able to, you know, every quarter pay out the dividend, then they they wouldn't be paying out a dividend, right? They'd be bankrupt or they'd be out of business. There are some exceptions to that. But in general, you look at dividend paying stocks like Verizon or Walmart or ExxonMobil or, you know, even now Apple pays a dividend. These are quality stocks. Johnson and Johnson, um, <clears throat> just pick any Coca-Cola. A lot of these companies have been around for more than a hundred years. They pay a dividend. Uh, they're good quality stocks to own to begin with. They're not the uh, the ones you see you, know, you read about in the headlines. They're not uh, initial public offerings that are all exciting and everybody's jumping into. But they're good quality stocks that you can hold for the long term and you get appreciation out of them. Yeah, that's number one reason they should be in your dividend because you want to be owning quality. Or just the reason they want to be in your portfolio because you want to own quality. The other reason is, and this is what most people miss. I did a whole podcast episode, Wealth Setting Podcast 309. Last, last episode I did talks about this, but just real quick, quick what it is, is, is that dividend paying stocks don't cease paying the dividend during a crisis, nor does the dividend fluctuate with the stock price. The yield fluctuates, but not the dividend itself. So if you have a hundred dollar stock that's paying, you know, one dollar a quarter, it'd be a four percent dividend, one dollar a quarter, four dollars a year. Even if the stock price collapses and goes down to fifty dollars, every quarter, as long as they're still issuing their dividend, they're still paying that one dollar. So your, your rate went up. Now you're receiving an eight percent dividend on a fifty dollar stock as opposed to a four percent dividend on a hundred dollar stock. But the important thing is, is you're still getting that, you're still receiving that dividend. And so if you're in retirement, and like I tell people, you don't want to withdraw more than, say, four to six percent of your savings into retirement. You want to try and 
manage your lifestyle so that your living expenses can be paid off of four to six percent of your retirement savings. <clears throat> well, if you have a dividend portfolio that's generating, say, three percent dividends and your stocks all get cut in half, that dividend now went up to six percent, but you're still receiving you're still receiving that same amount. So you say it's thirty thousand dollars in dividends. You're still receiving the thirty thousand dollars in dividends regardless of the stock price. And so you don't have to panic and go and sell your equities when they're down to raise money um, to fund your lifestyle. You can simply either live off the dividend or maybe sell a smaller portion of your equity holdings, but still the major amount of your income is coming you know, from those dividends, which, which generally are still going to pay out even during the downturn. So people should own, whether they're in retirement or not, they should own dividend-paying stocks because they are good quality stocks. I, I completely agree with that. They also, when you look at a stock that has a history of paying dividends, you're looking at a company that knows how to make money. If they don't know how to make a profit, there is no dividend, right? So you can take a dividend-paying stock and they don't make a profit this quarter, guess what, no dividend. So when you look at a company that's made profits consistently every quarter for a long duration, that's a place to go. And right now, a lot of these companies are going to still make a profit. I mean, especially if they're in uh, in the food industry, in the medical industry, like the people that are taking a beating right now are service and hotels and and, and airplanes and stuff like that, uh, restaurants, etc. But when it comes to the overall food industry, um, people are buying more food than they probably have in the same period of time ever in recent history. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just I was going to add to that. Even like a McDonald's, which very likely is going to have horrible profits for a couple quarters. McDonald's is not going out of business. You know, McDonald's has been paying a dividend for a long time. They've got decades and decades of growth history behind them. Uh, again, I'm not saying go out and eat a Big Mac. They're horrible for your health, right? They're garbage food, but people do it, and they're going to keep doing it. And McDonald's may have a short-term problem, but McDonald's is paying the dividend. And we're talking about stocks, but the same thing with – I mean, you can buy broad index funds – or mutual funds the same way. Uh, Vanguard, VEU, which is the all-world XUS exchange-traded fund. So you're getting the diversification of the entire globe other than the U.S. It's right now paying like a 3.4% dividend. So it's going to, you know, that same, whatever that, and it's about $3, I don't know, that, that comes out to probably about $1.50 a year or something in, in, in that dividend. But it's going to pay that throughout this crisis and I can pretty much guarantee you that the whole world is not going to go bankrupt. You know, it's, there, there could be some bad times, but the whole world is not going bankrupt. And so, so dividend-paying stocks, people definitely want to put that in their portfolio. The other thing is, and this is a big proponent of what you always hear me say when I'm answering ex expert questions, and it's um, it's about buy the dip. I, if I think a recession's coming, I'm going to get out of the market. If, you know, if I really think that we're going to be in a, in a long-term two, three, or more years where the market's going to be down and we're at the end of a credit cycle or the end of a business cycle, I'm definitely going to get out. I'm going to go to cash. I'm maybe going to buy uh, short-term treasury bills, but I'm not going to be invested in the stock market. That's not the case now. I do. I think this is transitory. I think this is going to eventually go away. And so I don't know where the bottom is. I mean, people are constantly asking me, you know, is this a good time to get in? The market drops 3% one day. Is this, a, is this time to get in? You know, a couple of days later, it drops 10%. I mean, this is so volatile. You you don't know from day to day 
I don't know if it's going to drop another 20% from where we are right now. That's why I buy the dips because I, I know long term it is going to come up. And since I can't know exactly where the bottom is, every time there's a major pullback, if I have cash available, I just buy the dip. And that's why I'm more of a proponent rather than uh, when people just dollar cost average into the market, you know, every payday they put 10% of their paycheck or whatever into the stock market. What I prefer to do is, you know, build that up in cash. And then when we're in a period like this is that's when I'm dumping it in the market. And then now every time I get a paycheck, rather than spending it, I'm putting it in the market. As much money as I can, I'm putting into the market. I'm buying every one of these dips. If I see the market down five, three, ten percent a day, whatever, that's the day I'm buying. On a day, and that was yesterday, right? Yesterday the market was down almost twelve percent. That was a good day to buy. Today the market's up a little bit. Eh, maybe you don't buy today. You wait for the next. There'll be some headline. Everybody will be scared. You want to buy the dip. That's that's to me better than dollar cost averaging. Yeah. Um, something else to to think about, and this kind of gets back to where I don't think this is as bad as everybody says it is. And, um, you know, I heard the show yesterday with Doc Bones. I think he had some really good explanations. And, and this may come in, in a couple different waves. You know, we may go away in the summer, come back in, in the winter. And, you know, Spanish Spanish flu, I think, lasted from 1918 to 1920. You know, so this, this could go on for a while. We don't know. But here's the bottom line. I look at stocks like um, – I, I just kind of digress here a second. When I look at when I look at things, I don't look at what people's opinions are, what people say. I go out and I look at the facts. I try and look at what's what's moving in the stock market, where the cash flows are, what the price of gold, silver, copper. You know, I'm looking at actual numbers of what things are as opposed to just what people say about them. Right now, I'm looking at a stock called Yum Y U M C. That Yum Brands is uh, Pizza Hut, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. So the Yum C is the Chinese version of that. The Chinese, you know, basically Kentucky Fried Chicken. You would think that that stock would be devastated, right? I mean, China was the uh, the uh, ground zero for this whole thing. It's a restaurant stock. People are quarantined. They're not going in there eating. You know, all these things. This Yum Brands China is only down 15% through this whole thing. So it's it's outperforming the S&P 500 in in uh, nominal terms. And even just in the last three weeks, it's, this Yum brand has basically tapered off and consolidated. It looks like it's hit bottom where the S&P 500 keeps going down. So you know when I look at how bad this virus is, if, if the smart money, if people are really still holding on to you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken in China, and they're not worried about that going bankrupt, then I don't think that, you know, JP Morgan Chase and Walmart and, you know, listen, Nike, pick whatever big American company you want. They are not going out of business. If, if Kentucky Fried Chicken can survive in China, I think Walmart can survive in America. So uh, to me, that, that shows it. And, and this is something else that kind of gets back to the irrationality of the markets. Disney stock has gotten hammered. Uh, and again, this is something that a few years back when everybody was hating ESPN, I loved, I bought Disney stock because everybody hated it. So I was buying Disney stock. You know, then they went to streaming and the stock went crazy. I think it went up to $150 a share. Well, with this whole coronavirus and closing of Disney parks and things, the fear of the parks would be closed. Disney stock cratered. 
But on the day that Disney actually made the announcement, the, the, the morning after Disney made the announcement that they were closing the parks, the stock actually went up like 13%. And it's, it's just kind of the irrationality of things. People were so worried about Disney closing parks that they drove down the price of the stock. But once they actually closed the parks, the price went up because the fear went away. So this things are a whole lot more uncertain than they look, but I think we're just going to adapt fine. And this kind of gets us into this whole government stimulus. What's the government going to do? I have no idea. But, Jack, have you noticed how everybody loves borders right now? Yeah. Like the, Europe- the Europeans especially. I, I didn't even know, like, Germany had a border anymore. No, I don't think they you, did. <laughs> how can they shut down their border, right? I mean, all these... All these countries are shutting down their borders. You know, and I got a lot of crap yesterday for saying shutting down our borders makes sense right now because I'm supposed to be the anarchist and all. And I'm like, look, if I w- if we lived in a stateless society, I'm sure there would be lots of options that you could choose for your own personal safety right now because you'd have private property, and the person who controlled that property would say what well, you had to do to get in there, out of there, et cetera. But we don't. That's not the world we live in. We have to be pragmatic. And the reason I want to shut borders is not because I want to restrict somebody's right to travel. I want to shut borders because if somebody with this virus comes here, it adds to our problems. And by the way, if someone with the virus from here goes there, we add to their problems. And we, that, the, the, what they're doing right now does not affect citizens of the country in question. So if you're a U.S. citizen, you can get home. It doesn't affect freight, and it doesn't affect cargo. So we can still uh, practice trade, and it's not permanent. It's not permanent. Like this, this mindset that some people have, like they're doing it so they can round us all up. To what end? For what purpose? Why, Government why wants they... to control you, but they do not want to put you in a FEMA camp. I'm sorry. You are a burden in a FEMA camp. They want you spending money, acting stupid, and paying taxes. This yeah, is not they... good for government. Government doesn't want this. They put me in a FEMA camp. They'd have to feed and clothe me. If they let me work, I make money and I, they steal my money from me. I mean, why yeah. would they want? Why would they want to put me in a FEMA camp? That doesn't mean they won't use this to take liberty. That's and I, that's like you know, it drives me nuts that people think that those two things again are the same. Like I, I really think we need to reevaluate what people learn in about third grade because you know I'm almost fifty and in third grade I learned the difference between like and as and similes and metaphors. I I didn't uh, decide that anybody that made a comparison between two things was making an absolute comparison uh, for the rest of my life. I think some people maybe have. I, I I don't get it. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and and that's the whole thing with the borders too. I mean, I I, I am, I'm for reasonable borders. I was for reasonable borders before. I'm for them now. Um, I just think it's funny that. So many countries that were opposed to borders are suddenly now putting them they up. They found their border, and, and, right? And they that, found their border. Like, hey, we have a border there. And that gets to the, the adapt, adaption part of it. That's why, you know, things aren't going to get totally out of hand because the government's going to step, step in. They're maybe going to do some draconian things. They're going to enforce their borders. They're going to do stimulus spending. They're going to forgive debt. All that is going to stabilize the markets. And, and so because of that, you want to be buying the dip, and you want to buy quality. Like I said about the dividend-paying stocks that should already be in your portfolio, don't run out now and try and second-guess what pharma company is going to come up with the next vaccine or, um, you know, should you buy 3M stock because they're now they're making more face masks or something like that. You just want to buy quality stocks. You, you might want to buy 3M because it's a quality industrial company, and it has a 100-year history of paying a dividend. That's why you want to buy 3M. You don't want to buy it because of some respirator nonsense. You know, you just go out now, look for quality. If you don't already own it, start looking for quality stocks. They are all on sale. Everything. I can't think of a good quality S&P, you know, Fortune 500 company that isn't on sale right now. 
And that's, that's where I'd encourage people if they have money, you know, don't try and pick the absolute bottom and don't try and pick the absolute best stock. Just go out and buy quality stocks or a broad based quality index and down the road, six months, a year, I don't know, two days, who knows when it's going to be, but you're going to make money. Um, for the people that do want to take a risk, um, and I know there's a lot, I, that's usually what people ask me about is the risk. So if you do want to take a risk, I would say, and I, I haven't done it yet, but I am building my watch list. There are many, many smaller growth-oriented companies <clears throat> that are down significantly. I mean, 50 to 80 percent. And Jack, you know, Jack, if a, if a stock's down 50 percent, what happens if it gets back to where it was? You, you, you've gotten back 25 percent of your money. No, if it's down, if, yeah, if it's down 50. Yeah. If it's down 50, you double your money, right? Yeah, yeah. You went up 100 percent. Yeah. So there are a lot, I mean a lot of, of – and they're not the quality blue chips. They're not something I would normally invest in. They're more risky, but, but they're, they're you know, good, stable companies. Uh, they're just smaller and they're, and they're riskier. So you're not going to put every, every dollar you own in these. But some of these are down significantly to where if they just get back to where they are, you're going to more than double your money. And again, is that going to happen next week, next month? I mean, I wouldn't be using rent money on this kind of thing, but there are opportunities out there for a lot of money to be made in the future. And again, that's why I'm not looking at this as a crisis and why I'm cold-hearted in an SOB. I think this is a great buying opportunity. I think that if you invest in the right companies now, if you, if you hold through this, you're not going to lose. And if you have money where you can invest in quality companies and some of these slightly riskier companies, you're going to make a lot of money in the future. And <clears throat> That kind of really takes me to the biggest heartless thing I have to say, which really made people angry, and that's that you know this is a thinning of the herd. I know a lot of people don't want to hear it, but the good news in all this, like we talked about with the neutron bomb, where yeah, I mean it's the infrastructure still here, it's it's demand deferral, not destruction. The, the the most fortunate part of this whole thing is that it's taken out the elderly. Okay, now. You know, me and Doc Bones are old, so I don't want the elderly to die, right? Yeah, <laughs> I want to stay you. around. Yeah. I want to, but but at the same time, being perfectly logical and 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 rational, and looking at the way the world the way the world is, and not the way I want it to be, it's better that old people are going to die and not young people. You know, when when my mom was a kid, there's still a lot of people getting polio, yes. and that hit that hit old people as well as young people. But I mean, I can remember people that were my mother's age that got polio. That were, you know, had very crippled and had to wear hip braces and things their whole entire lives. That was, that was a very horrible, um, you know, epidemic to go around. This, this is bad. It's going to make people sick. We're going to miss work. The economy is going to suffer. But in the end, the people that are the most hurt are the people that we can afford to lose the most. And I, I say that. As a realist, not as someone. And that, when you say that's good, you don't mean that's good in that it's good. It's good rather than the alternative of, let's say, this thing disproportionately hitting children. Yes, I have five grandchildren. I would much rather die than have any one of my grandchildren die. So I am thankful that this virus is hitting older people, not younger people. And even even in an economic sense, though, that's a good thing. The 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 older people are naturally going to go anyways. I mean, and again, this is heartless and cruel to say, but this is the best thing that could happen to the Italian economy. Look at the country oh, of Italy. You it, really are it, going to be in trouble for saying that. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, and I'm Italian, and I know I got cousins over there, but I'm telling you, 
it's a mean, horrible thing to say, but but think it from a realistic standpoint, and not only from a realistic standpoint, think of it from the way it is. It, it's it's just happening, right? Whether I say it or not, it's happening. And Italy has a demographic time bomb. They are their next twenty years. They are going to suffer through stagnant growth because they have way more old people than they do younger people. And the best thing that can happen to Italy right now is that they can get their demographics back in line to where they don't have so many old pensioners drawing down the system. You know, there's, know some, things, there's it, some things in Italy we should look at just from numbers, not necessarily um, the, the, the market, but just the numbers relative because everybody keeps comparing us to Italy. Um, and that our, our cases are tracking about the same number as Italy. I, I don't think you can really look at the United States versus Italy in this the same way. First of all, um, we're not Italy, right? We're a lot bigger than Italy. We have a lot more people in Italy. I think you have to look at the United States in clusters if you're going to compare it to Italy. So you would be comparing, let's say, Washington to Italy, not the United States to Italy, if you were being honest about that. Um, that doesn't mean it's not a problem. It just means that we're, we're trying to create a relativism where, where there isn't necessarily a relativism. And if you look at the death rate in the United States compared to Italy, it's a lot lower here. And if you look at the death rate in a place like South Korea, and I'm not just talking about them getting a hold of it, I'm talking about them actually having the real numbers because of the broad-based testing that their death rate is extremely low. It's under 1%. I, I, I know it's more than the flu. No one's saying it's not more than the flu. It's still under 1%. It's still worthy of having some perspective because I keep seeing people trying to stretch this into the black death. And I just see that as socially irresponsible because some people actually believe you're bullshit when you do that. Um, here's the thing on Italy. They, their normal death rate is about 22% higher than ours anyways. Because they have an older population, right? Like, like we've been saying with this, they're not the same. They are going to have more people die. They have more people dying, I believe, from the coronavirus right now because they don't have as effective as a healthcare system. They're, they're having triage. They're having to choose who gets the respirator, right? Does the, does a, does a 30 year old get the respirator or does a 90 year old get the respirator? Well, the 30 year olds get the respirator and the 90 year olds dying over there. If you look at the death rates, the the average death rate in Italy right now of the coronavirus is like 80 years old. 80 or 81 years old is the average age of the, of the people that are dying. And 80% of them are men and men that smoke. So it's it's not the black death. It's it's not the plague. It's a very sad thing. It's, it's a horrible. It has to happen. But again, at the end of the day, I'm telling you, if anything's going to pull Italy out of a long-term 10-year recession, it's going to be all those old people dying early. And I know I'm going to get the hate mail, but it's the truth. And think of it this way, too. If, 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 an, if a senior citizen dies, there's, there's one or two outcomes. And this is why it's going to be stimulative to the economy in the future. Number one, they're a pensioner, and they're, you know, they're only earning money by, by receiving a pension from a company or a government that's a payout. So they're not, quote, contributing. So number one, if, if they die, that goes away. The company or the government or the insurance company, whoever gets to keep the money, that's good for profits. Number two, the other type of senior citizen is someone that's, that's wealthy that has the money. The reason they have the money and they're wealthy is because they don't spend it. 
when they die, their kids and grandkids will spend the money, and that's stimulative to the economy. And, and again, I say that with me. You know, if I if I died, my kids are going to be sad. They're going to cry. They're going to miss their dad. Oh, they wish they spent more time with me. But what are they going to do? They're going to run out and spend my money. You know, it's just human nature. And I'm telling you, once this works itself out in a month, three months, a year, whatever it is, because of all the government stimulus that's going on right now and because of the death of the older people, the economy is going to – I don't know if it's going to explode, but we are going to see a huge increase in demand and increase in consumption, and that's probably going to mean corporate profits are going to go up and the, and the market's going to go up even higher. So you know where we were at 3,400 in the S&P 500 – we're going to hit whatever, 35, 36, 37. I don't know. I, if I had to compare this to a, a previous time in history, I would compare this to Bill Clinton's second term where, you know, the, the market, I don't know, I think it tripled in his last, uh, his last four years. Uh, and that was, that had to do with other, other reasons, but you know, you had the peace, remember the peace dividend, the cold war was over. Yeah. We didn't have to spend all the money on defense anymore. Companies could, could now sell to the whole world before they could only sell, you know, quote, within the free world. Well, during during Clinton's era there, particularly the second half of it, um, all, all of the Reagan tax cuts were pretty much still in effect. A lot of that deregulation. Then you had the Cold War end, so you had the peace dividend. You had all these markets open up, and, and the market tripled. I don't know if it's going to triple in the next three years, but I really I, – I, the numbers I look at, I think we could easily double – the next four years, whether Trump's president or Bernie Sanders or whoever, maybe not Sanders. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be president. I think <laughs> Biden. Well, you know, my thing with Biden was they said the only chance Bernie had was for Biden to crumble in the March 15th debate. He had to crumble. He had to come out with dog post paste pony soldiers. He had to uh, come, not fumble, but fail. He didn't. That doesn't mean I agreed with anything he said. It just means he sounded like he had his crap together. And I think you'll see, I think we have primaries today in, in most places they didn't cancel them or defer them. And I think you'll see Biden like kind of running away with it. So you're going to have Biden or Trump. And, and as bad as Biden will be, he's not much, as much different as people want to stay. I mean, that's what Bernie's fans are saying. It's the same. Well, you're kind of right. Um, my personal feeling on the timeline here is that you're going to see a peak about two weeks out. That doesn't mean it's going to be over in two weeks. In fact, there'll be more wailing and gnashing of teeth for quite a while after that. But I think that's where you're going to start to see the flattening of the curve and getting this under control because it kind of mimics what's gone on in other places, even places that didn't quite get their, their, their crap together. I mean, even Italy is starting to see a flattening now themselves. Um, we got we got on this faster than they did as far as uh, social distancing, et cetera. And I think people are acting differently. I think people are, you know, out washing their hands and whatever. We don't run around kissing each other. Uh, I don't know if you heard. I guess you did hear yesterday's show. You know, the virtue signaling that went on in Italy. That I'm not saying it's the exactly. cause, but it couldn't have helped running around hugging Chinese people to protest Trump. That couldn't have been a good idea, you know. Um, and, and then I guess the other side of this is, let's say we get is we, we follow Italy exactly. Right. We, we follow Italy. Exactly. Uh, we have more hospitals than Italy. We have more ventilators than Italy. We have more doctors than Italy. We also have more people. But if we do continue to follow them and we don't run away from them, 
it's a manageable. What's not a manageable problem in Italy is a manageable problem in the United States. Like I said, if it was, if I was in charge right now, one of the things I would do is I would have already placed uh, military hospital assets in California, New York, and Washington. I would have already done that because those are your three big clusters right now. Does that mean it's going to be the only place you're going to have problems? No, but we know we have a problem there now. And we know the first places to go into a surge capacity issue are going to be those places, so let's get the assets out in front of them. Um, but, again, we're back to we don't get to decide that. We just have to deal with it. And I think that for most people, this is a mild illness. And that's something we can't forget. Um, quit try, these people who keep trying to push the death rate to like 15% as though that's the, the, the t total picture or something, 8%. In every instance, the more data you have, the more that number goes down. I also think, and this is me just theorizing here, I, I do think there's multiple strains of this, and I think that's why some of the young people that are dying from this are healthcare workers, because they're getting multiple exposures to multiple strains. I think that's why that doctor that tried to sound the alarm in China maybe died. We just had a doctor recently that died in, uh, I think, Washington State. Uh, or maybe they're getting other infections totally unrelated that are complicating it. I don't know, but, you know, these are people that are spending all their time in a hospital full of sick people. Yeah, they're, they're wearing themselves out trying to serve people in this crisis. And, uh, you know, what else do we know about doctors? A lot of them aren't in great health themselves. Well, everybody you know. thinks they are, and usually they physically, a lot of them physically look like they are, but they have, like, as a profession, some of the highest rates of obese, uh, not sorry, obesity, I'm sorry, uh, suicide, alcoholism, and drug addiction. And, yep. and you could fact check that, guys, if you want to. I know a lot of people don't want to believe that, but, you know, they have easy access to drugs. That's one thing. And then their job is depressing. Imagine a job where every week somebody that you cared about and tried to help died. For some, it's a lot more than one a week. You know, if you're an ER doc or something like that in a major city, like, you, you're probably watching a person die a day minimum. And so between depression and substance abuse and the fatigue and the hours, like interns and residents, those guys work ridiculous shifts, and it makes them more susceptible. And it's why we should appreciate the hell out of them. Exactly. Well, John, you got anything else? I think we, uh, we've, we've hit about a little, about a little over an hour here for people, and, and we're not really giving them a lot of solutions. We're just giving them straight facts, and I, I think that's all we can do right now. So we're getting facts, but, but even like the solutions we talked about. You know, you want to go to cash during a crisis. Uh, you want to buy quality. You want to own dividend-paying stocks. Maybe look for some risk in, in jumping into some of these stocks that are they're smaller companies that have a, a record of growing and making money, and yet their stocks are down 50%, 60%, I uh, Don't go crazy with it. But those are some things I want to look at. Bottom line, though, is if you haven't sold by now, I wouldn't be selling. I wouldn't panic. Who knows how low this can go. But I, I, I will make the prediction, and hopefully I'll be here in four years to back it up. But I'm telling you, I see nothing in, in the numbers that in the next four years this market can't double. And uh, I guess the one, the one caveat to this I would say is, is that this could be all this easy money. Again, I don't agree with it. I don't think it's necessarily um, fundamentally sound, but it's just the way it is. All the government money that's coming in, all the stimulus spending, all the um, low interest rates, this could very well be likely laying the, the seeds for us to have the next big collapse. Um, but this isn't it yet. I, I can see where the market could go up. Again, it could double. And then if we don't pull, if we allow all these 
easy money to continue even after the crisis. We'll get back into a 2008 event because I think one of the one of the ultimate factors of 2008 was the easy money policies we had as a result of 9/11. You know, and in 2001, we tried to do everything we could to keep the economy going. We, we drastically lowered lending standards, and we kept that free money moving for you know the next five, six years when they should have cut it off earlier. And that eventually, I think, led to all the bankruptcies in 2008. So we, we could see this, this stimulus package setting up the next downturn. Oh, I think so, but I think you get – you get time in there. Uh, yeah, let's absolutely. look at the last time we had a, 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 a disease outbreak that people keep comparing this to, even though I think it's not a, really a, a direct, fair comparison, the Spanish flu of, of 1919, 1920. Um, what came after that? Yeah, the Roaring Twenties. The largest I- expansion other than now of the U.S. economy in history, which ended in eventually in 1929, the Great Depression. But there was nine years of uh, incredible growth. And, you know, that's, that, again, that's, we try to be honest. Like, we're not saying everything's super, everything's swell, but I, I'm a big believer in looking at historical trends and historical cycles. And, and I think that's, that's where we're going. And I, again, it doesn't mean everything's great. It just means there's, there's opportunities right now. There, there's major opportunities right now. And there will continue to be some major opportunities for the next few months. Again, I mean, when someone, when I say that, and if somebody's like, he's saying it's all wonderful. No. Um, this sucks. It sucks in a lot of ways, you know, and hopefully most of the people in this audience, you know, I've been doing this for almost 12 years now. Um, you know, when I say uh, on, on many occasions have at least 30 to 60 days of supplies so that you can survive without systems of support, I mean it. And I think if you have that right now, you don't have a lot to worry about because they're not going to close all the stores. They're not going to even in Italy. Like the streets are eerily quiet, but you can still go shopping. You can still go get groceries, etc. And when you have 30, 60 or more days worth of food, you don't have to go get 30 days worth of food. You can go get a week and now you're extended a week. And you can go get another week and you're extended another week. And people, if they haven't, this is where I'm frustrated now because I can't help people that didn't do that. Like this is not the time you can go out and copy can or whatever. But as you get the ability to... Uh, do more uh, procurement. I, I would say, you know, we've always talked about copy canning, John, but another way to look at it, to get to 50 days of reserve food, for every seven-day cycle you shop for, shop for eight. So if you shop weekly, buy eight days' worth of stuff. If you shop bi-weekly, buy, you know, 16 days' worth of stuff. You do that in a year, you have 52, 52 days of extra food. And buy it when it's on sale so you get it at a better price. Yeah, if it's on sale, go ahead and extend and buy more, you know. But I really hope people stop. And, and like, man, if there's a PSA I can make there to stop posting pictures of crowds, uh, sold-out shelves and stuff like that, because all it's doing is, is the fear of missing out hysteria being wrapped up. And, you know, it's going to have to it's gonna have to get to a point where most people have grabbed as much as they can, and they're either out of money or out of energy or out of room. And I think you'll see a leveling off of that. And I think you'll see that continue to be um, regionally driven. It's not hard to get stuff here right now. You know, if you go Saturday afternoon, that's really dumb. Uh, but if you duck out on, like, Monday morning, you can get anything, including toilet paper, at most of the stores here. Um, and we're not without cases. We're not, you know, we're not without some level of problem here. So um, be sane, be safe, and 
and stay away from people you don't have to be around right now, I guess. Yeah, we should be prepping and investing if times get tough or even if they don't. Good words, John. I'm not sure where you got those, but I like those words a lot, man. I've got a good friend that told me that many years ago. All right, man. Well, hey, thank you for being with us today, and uh, stay safe out there in the in the wilds of Utah. And uh, I'm sure we'll have some expert counsel questions coming for you uh, this week as well for Friday. Sounds good, my friend. Take care now. All right, that'll do it, man. All right, good show. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it'll calm some people down and. You know, hopefully it won't create too much more hatred. I've got lots of hatred myself right now. I, you know, you can only tell people what you believe. You can't tell them what you don't believe. <clears throat> yeah, that's what. Uh, I, 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 I've, made, so I've made that thin the herd comment many times. And I can't take it back now, but I wouldn't anyways because I really believe it. I think it's it's what's happening. Yeah, it's not uh, not what I want to happen. It's just what's happening. Well, and it occasionally happens. Yep. I mean that's. That's the other thing. And occasionally just, that's nature. That's, that's the nature. way it is, yeah. Hopefully it won't be us, but otherwise, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's all the other guy. I hope it's all the smokers. Yeah. Yeah, me too, man. All right, man. Well, let me let you go. I'm yeah, going to take care. I, 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 and I get, I, again, my plans are disrupted. I, wanted, I was trying to maybe get down there before it gets hot. I was going to try and get down there in March or so, but my time's running out and all these problems, so I still may not get down to Texas. But I do want to get down and see you and Dorothy. Okay. It's a pass through Dallas Fort Worth one of these days. Okay, cool. Well, hopefully it's going to get hot soon because I, I do think there's a correlation between spread and temperature, in spite of the fact that everybody keeps telling me I have no proof of it, in spite of the fact I'm what I'm making is my claims are you know empirical data, scientific studies by noted authors, et cetera. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I think it's I, I think it's very likely that it's going to get wor- it's going to get better in the summer, like yeah. the flu. I mean, yeah. If nothing else, we all won't be cramped in a building together. So. Yeah. I actually keep telling people too: go the hell outside. Well, we're supposed to social distance. Well, don't go be with people. Take a walk. You know, go, go walk around your block. We walk around the property a couple, three times a day. Anyway, man, let me roll. I'll and I'll okay. get this up probably in the next hour. Thanks, Jack. All right, bye. Bye. bye Good stuff from John. And um, if some of the things he said rubbed you the wrong way, you're not upset with him. Because he lied to you. You're upset with him because he told you the truth, even if it's something you don't want to hear. And I'd rather have somebody angry at me for telling them the truth as I understand it and as I see it than have somebody angry at me for misunderstanding me. Um, and just make sure you did misunderstand him. I don't think he's saying any of this is good in of itself, but good things come from bad things often. That's that's just the way the world works. And the more prepared you are individually, the more true that can be for you. And that hopefully is the, the central message that uh, you should get as a takeaway in today's show. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I don't have an item for the, of the day for you today. Uh, I, I've been really... God, I've been doing so much. I have people reaching out to me from a lot of different outlets right now for uh, interviews and advice and things like that. So I'm uh, I'm working more, not less, during this. Um, so uh, I just want to remind you though that a way you can help us and there's like the biggest thing people are doing right now uh, is buying online. Well, when you shop online, you can always help us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. And as the items that you will see there that have been reviewed over the years, I own it, I bought it, I'd spend my money on it again, or I will not put it up there for you to uh, to purchase either. I'm just 
that's what I do. You can always help me out without spending an extra penny by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That brings us to our item of, or I'm sorry, to our song of the day today. Uh, I got out of sequence there for a second. Today's song of the day is by Three Doors Down, and I, I think it's probably one of my favorite songs by this band. It's called If I Could Be Like That. And this song is really about following your dreams. And the lead singer of Three Doors Down who wrote this said he knows everybody has them. It's also not uh, just about following your dreams. It's kind of a little bit about dreams that you've missed and a little notion of regret also. I think a lot of times when we don't follow a dream, we don't chase a dream, and we, we let some of our dash slip away, uh, much like the things we talked about today, even though overall it's a negative, it can be a positive. It is that feeling of regret that says, not this time, I'm going to keep pursuing my dreams. I would tell you that right now, um, people have a tendency to get really depressed, to get really fearful in a situation like this. This is still going to end up being one of the greatest times in history, and it's up to you to figure out what your dreams are. If if anything, if you're, you're kind of stuck at home or what have you, take this time and think about what you want to do with your life rather than fearing what's happening because the sun will rise. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another episode of the Survival Podcast. Watching the stars on the big screen Then he lies awake and he wonders Why can't that be me? Cause in his life he's filled with all these good intentions He's left a lot of things he'd rather not mention right now Just before he says goodnight up with a little smile at me, he says, if I could be like that, well, I would give anything just to live one day in those shoes. If I could be like that, what would I do? What would I